I'm Ariane Elfant, and this is Death the Podcast. Death may be defined as the destruction or permanent end of something. At Death the Podcast, we are looking closely at what happens when something ends. We listen, learn about, and discuss the stories that surround the subject of death. These stories bring up much more than feelings of fear and sadness. They offer opportunities for connection, for hope, and sometimes even for humor. Ultimately, if we are open to exploring death, we create greater potential to experience life. Stephen Sontheimer is a fourth-generation funeral director whose family co-founded the New Orleans institution, Tharp Sontheimer Funeral Home. Stephen has been associated with Tharp Sontheimer since 1962 and currently serves there as funeral director and consultant. Stephen is also a pioneer for the advancement of death education. He is one of the founders of Hospice New Orleans, has served on numerous boards and committees, and gives lectures on death and palliative care in churches, synagogues, schools, and healthcare facilities around the region. Here today to speak with us about his experience and his life in the death care industry is Stephen Sonheimer. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. You've been in the funeral industry for over 50 years. What keeps you going? Well, I feel a tremendous responsibility to serve the people that call upon me for services, uh, following in the footsteps of a father, a grandfather, and a great-grandfather. And when I think back about choosing to follow in their footsteps, I realized maybe there was really no choice. It was something that I had to do. When I was a child, uh, you really didn't discuss death very much with your children. People often shielded their children. And I learned from the experience of being shielded from the death of my first dying grandfather, who I loved very much, uh, to be much more inclusive with my own children and much more open and thought a lot more about mortality as I helped people who called upon me to plan for funerals. It's been a learning experience of now 54 years, and uh, it continues to be meaningful. I'm going to be 75 on my next birthday, and I often think about continuing and how long will I do this. And I realize that I will do it as long as I can and as long as people feel the need to call upon me personally for services and if I'm available to assist them. I want to do that. You mentioned that you were shielded from death as a child and that what was that first experience like when you when you lost a loved one? I had a grandfather who was a, a, a physician here in the city and he was always, um, I was, I think, seven years old when he died. And he was often idolized uh, in our family and also by people in the community. And I, I actually remember that. I remember that. And he died of a heart attack very suddenly while on a trip out of town. And they had the funeral and um, I was left home. I was not included in the anything to do with the funeral, even though my father was a funeral director. And when I was um, a child, my father would 
say he was going to the office. He didn't call it the funeral home. He called it the office. And if I went with him to the office, there were very, um, it was very clear where I could go and where I could not go. So I never really saw a dead body, even though I went to his funeral home. We were excluded. We were excluded from the funeral. We were excluded from all of these activities. And I remember that. And as I got more comfortable in doing what I do, uh, starting with working in the embalming room. That was your start in yeah, the business? Yeah, sure. When I mean, <laughs> when I, when, when I, I mean, after all, I had to get comfortable with this. And mm -hmm. my father was one of these, well, you know, once you're going to do it, now you're going to learn the whole thing. So I would accompany one of our licensed embalmers. We would go to hospitals and then we would go to, um, residences when somebody died or a nursing home and I would help them with the removal and I would drive the hearse and I would actually work in the embalming room uh, helping them prepare the bodies uh, for for burial dressing casketing cosmetizing all of these kinds of things now I never went to embalming school because if you don't really have to it's a dual license you can have an embalmer's license where you have to go to school for, I think it's like two years, and then you have to do an apprenticeship. But you can also get a funeral director's license if you have so many years of college, and I was a graduate of Tulane, and so I just got a funeral director's license. And then I went to a, a, a school outside of Chicago uh, for a, a training course in funeral service management after, after I went to Tulane. So I learned about the business of which of the funeral as well as uh, how to feel comfortable being around a dead body. When did you realize like, that your father was dealing with people who had died and their families? Well, as I got older, uh, you know, I wasn't um, as restricted. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was his, his own personal issues or whether he thought he was doing me a favor. and But it was clear that this is what I was going to do with my professional career. You think he knew that? I think my father really, really wanted me to follow in his footsteps. And we had um, a chain of funeral homes. It wasn't just one. We, we had a, a number of funeral homes. And there was a business and there was management of people and there was uh, all kinds of things to do other than just, you know, see families every day. But I used to sit in the room with him as sort of an apprentice and I would watch him when he would make arrangements with people for funerals and I learned by watching him. In those first years, it was, it was, it was hard. I remember when cremation was not as uh, acceptable early on in my career, probably 10% of the people were cremated. Well, now it's about 50% of the people that are cremated. I'll never forget, as part of my education in this business, one day we had to deliver a container of cremated remains to somebody's house. 
And I remember that vividly about taking that urn and placing it on the seat in the front of my automobile and driving out to this person's house out at the lakefront and thinking to myself, should I turn on the music? What would they like? Would they like me to turn on the classical station or would they like me to turn on the jazz? And then when I arrived on the scene, how strange it was to pick up this urn, walk up to the front door of these people's house and ring the doorbell and present them with the cremated remains of their family member. It was, it's still very vivid. Mm -hmm. It made a huge impression upon me about the importance of dignity and the importance of being sensitive to people and not being afraid. What is it about you that lets you not be afraid in those moments where a lot of people would be? Well, when I'm working with people, I try to block everything else out and just do what I feel is necessary to help them. You're a part of one of the most private, intimate, important moments in people's lives in many ways. Well, this is true, and, and um, I don't treat it lightly. Just this week, the different things that have happened just this week and how um, I've thought about it. It's, it's been a lot this week. Uh, a, a, a lady who, who um, died at 95 years old that had a full life, loving children. Uh, she'd been a widow for over 30 years, but she seemed to move on and do a, be a, had tons of friends, other widow friends, and traveled and went out to eat and dressed up all the time, and she seemed to make a life for herself, uh, as a lot of people can do. It's possible to do this. I mean, some move on and have a second relationship, but in this case, it wasn't. Then there was another another, another situation where a lady had had a three-year bout with cancer, terrible cancer, and she had a loving relationship, and uh, she'd been married for 63 years. And when I went out to the cemetery, she was buried next to her daughter, who I buried a number of years ago, who had been killed in a car accident. Mm -hmm. And I thought about how the family felt about letting her go and how her physical presence was being buried next to the physical presence of her daughter, who I don't think she ever, ever got over the loss of that daughter. There was another situation this week, a suicide, 22 years old. There was uh, another situation of a, uh, a person who died peacefully after a long, long life and a quick death, no suffering. And the family said, well, the woman was 101 years old. 
Okay. So, I mean, they were very realistic about the death of this woman. So each one of those has been, you know, because top of mind, since we're talking about this today, only in the last three or four days. That's a lot. That's a lot. And and such a range of experience. And one other one that I just thought of. A person was cremated. And um, we had a... Uh, a mass in a local church. And when we went to the columbarium to place the urn, the urn was placed next to his son, who had been killed, and there's another one in a car accident, too, this week, where the son, I'd taken care of the son, and I knew the son before he died. And I hadn't seen that grave in a long time, and I looked at that, and I realized that young man was 35 years old when he died, and left a wife and two children. When he, when, and, and those that wife and two children were at the funeral, and I hadn't seen them in all those years. And I, it's a lot to process. You know, if you tell somebody you're a funeral director, they kind of look at you like you don't look like one, or you don't act like one. It's kind of lonely in a way. It's a profession that everybody doesn't choose, but it's very meaningful. My life has been very, very meaningful to me and worthwhile. And, uh, but I do like to get away from it. And, uh, but I'm a person that can pick up the telephone on the first ring when it rings at night because I'm used to that. I'm used to responding quickly and I'm always in touch. 24-7. Well, it sounds like that's incredibly important to you. It is. It is. And, and, and if, people, if, if people call upon me, fine. And if they don't, that, you know, they, 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 there are a lot of choices, you know, for people who can choose who they want. Why did they pick a funeral director? They pick a funeral director because they know the person, served the family before. They pick a funeral director because... Uh, 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 it's where the people from their church or temple or something, you know, go. They've been there before. Uh, or it's in their neighborhood or recommended by a doctor. Or um, it's, somebody says, you know, if when, when it happens, you call up a friend and the friend says, I know so-and-so, call that person. That's, that's the reason you do it. Funeral homes always advertise and you know, put out their name and and uh, people have to make a choice. Some people uh, now are buying these uh, funeral plans in advance. Uh, a lot of older people, particularly when they're spinning down their assets, unfortunately, they have to go on Medicaid or something. They, they usually come into the funeral home and, and make advance payment and arrangements in advance. It's a smart thing to do for, you know, when you get to that point and they put the money in a in a policy, an insurance policy, so that it's protected and they can take uh, Medicaid, you know, when they need, or they need supplemental, assist, supplemental assistance and you can only have a certain amount of assets. So we there's a lot more of that than there used to be. 
what, what, what else has changed in the last 50 years? You mentioned the increase of in cremation. That's been a tremendous change. And, um, but I find that the most interesting thing about cremation is the uniqueness of memorial services that people are really, really thinking about unique ways and unique places to have memorial services. You don't, you don't have to have these, these, these services um, in a funeral home. You can have them in a chapel or a church. You can have them at, 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 at your home. I mean, somebody this week um, that I know died out of town, and um, I, I saw the notice in the paper, and it says that uh, in the next, I think it was in two weeks from now, there will be a cocktail party at a <laughs> at a hotel, and <laughs> and I I called up one of the relatives that I know, and I said I'd seen in the paper that this person died. I said, yeah, he wanted a cocktail party, <laughs> and that's what they're doing. So so why not? Why not? I mean, why not? It, 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 this is this is this this was his call, and this is what they're doing. I think it's great. I think it's great, and you know, if they want it, they'll have pictures. I'm sure they'll have pictures, and and a lot of people would do that now when they have these memorial services. They they bring a lot of photographs, and people walk around and look at the photographs. And sometimes there's a formal sit down, and and either with a clergy or without, or testimony by family. One of the things that that a uh, a good funeral director do is to kind of give you ideas and 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 to to give you opportunity to to uh, to enhance the meaning of the of the celebration by uh, encouraging. Would you like to consider doing this, or would you like to consider doing that, or you know that kind of thing? Some people don't want your ideas. Other people are very open to it. Well, what do you think we should do? How do you think we should do this? And uh, so. You kind of could put your creativity hat on and and uh, help them planning something meaningful because it, this is a transitional ritual. It's a transitional ritual, and it's you don't do it every day, so you may as well think it out and do it right. And I think that as a transitional ritual, if it's done correctly, uh, it helps to move on. No matter whether it's, uh, you know, a person that lived a long life, a person that was in an accident, at, you know, or a quick death, suicide's horrible, so difficult, so much guilt and so much, um, you know, why did this happen? What did I do? Those kinds of questions. It's tough to see it mm-hmm. because you know that the adjustment period is just beginning. But you, I also know that the adjustment period cannot begin until the permanence and the reality of death. Some people do not want to see the dead body. I happen to endorse the idea that it is a very good thing to do. Um, I've seen people's reaction to, we don't want to see the person anymore, okay, versus, well, we want to have one last look. Sometimes when a person has been in the throes of an illness and has been suffering for 
period of time and they're in hospice care and, you know, all the different things that could happen. It's very traumatic to watch that deterioration. And sometimes uh, after the person is embalmed, if it's a situation like that, or even if they're not embalmed and you don't have to, by law, be embalmed, and they'll come to the funeral home and they'll see them and they're quiet and they're peaceful and they're cleaned up and they... They're not you in know, pain. And, they, 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 and the people will say, oh my goodness, you know, she looks so much younger or, she, or she's not suffering. And that's what the funeral does. The stages of grief are very clear. And the beginning of it is to face the reality of the death. How does your getting older and being in this industry for so long, dealing with end of life, how does that make you think about your own end of life? Well, I'm not afraid of death, for one thing. Uh, And that's why I enjoy life as much as I do every day. I like to celebrate because I know that... um, there's a permanence to death, and it will happen to all of us. As a funeral director, I think it's really important. You have to think about your own mortality in dealing with others and their mortality. I'm very proud of the people, that I, my, my uh, constituents who work in this field. Some are more sensitive than others, but... Um, I'm proud of the ones that I work with because, first of all, I've worked with them and trained them. Some of them are still there, and some of the new ones uh, kind of see how we do it and how we handle our families. If I see something that I don't like, I tell them. Uh, And I would like to leave that as a legacy. Our family business is 100 years old this year. That's a long time. That's a long time. Yeah, it's changed, but it's 100 years old this year. Where do you see it going? Well, I would think that, you know, it, it, it'll continue. Uh, I think it'll continue. It'll continue to a different form. Uh, it's not owned by the family anymore. It's owned by a a business, a public company, and and but many of the businesses today are owned by public companies, and it's it's different. But um, the service is not different, the culture is not different, and uh, I would like to see that my legacy would continue. My name is still on the door, and it's been there a hundred years. I mean, I can't guarantee it, but uh, at this point, it's continuing to. To Tharp Sunheimer has been in this in New Orleans for a hundred years, nineteen sixteen to two thousand sixteen. It's a long time. Yeah, it started a livery stable before the turn of the century, and then it moved into funeral homes and different businesses related to death. It just sounds like throughout the development of your career that there's more and more openness about talking about death before you're actually sitting down with your funeral director, and that 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 you are a big proponent of that. That that's been a really good thing. I think it takes the edge off, and I think it's really important to do it, and I encourage people to do it. We're living in a transient world where the mother and father don't necessarily live where the children live, you know, and they all, people 
come together when there's weddings and funerals. It's just that simple. You know, everybody shows up for the family funeral, and most people show up for the family wedding. And sometimes, um, well, a lot of times, you see people coming together uh, for the funeral when they really haven't had that much communication with each other for, you know, about family issues and they, they become distant from each other. They all show up for the funeral. And uh, often it's a cause for celebration. From my own personal experience and talking to others as well, the good things get better and the bad things sort of drift away which I think is a wonderful thing when you think about, and then, you know, whether, I mean, I think about it with my own parents, you know, I'll, I'll think about, I'll see something that, that my mother would have loved or, you know, I'll go to a restaurant that my father, I mean, every time I go to Antoine's for dinner and we sit in the, you know, we go in the restaurant, I think about the last family dinner we had for a birthday of his in the Proteus room at Antoine's. I mean, I think about that. And I know how much he loved it. And I know he liked sweetbreads. And they used to have sweetbreads. And, he, you know, he would have sweetbreads. And anytime there's a menu, I think about my dad, things that he loved. Same with my mother. So all the bad stuff floats away and the good stuff gets better. I mean, that's clearly the case for you. That's that's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I really hope that, you know, my children and grandchildren will um, realize that our lives and this, all the wonderful, fun things we've done, uh, it was very clear to me that we need to do these things when we're healthy and we can do them uh, because we'll get to a point where we're not healthy and we can't do them. So I'd like to just do everything we need to do now. Well, I love that you're a funeral director who knows how to live life. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, you've you've had a long, rich career. Yes, I have. And clearly made such an impact. Thank you. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure to serve people. And uh, somebody said to me yesterday at a funeral, a guy I know, he, he got up out of the pew and we were in this church, and he, he got up and he looked at me and he said, "You can't give up, can you?" <laughs> and I said, "Not yet." Well, thank you so much for making yourself available to us, Stephen Sondheimer. It's a pleasure to, to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. The word death evokes all sorts of personal feelings, images, and stories. These stories are amazing, and sharing them connects us more fully to life. I'm Ariane Elfont, and you have been listening to Death the Podcast. Join us for our next episode in this series. This show is produced and engineered by Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Jill Gross. Our theme music, It Happened, is written by David Milling and is performed by David Milling and Charles Milling. To hear more of David's music, go to his website, davidmilling.com. Our social media director is Jolie Robichaud. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or some other podcast app, if you can take a moment to rate and review us, that helps other people find us. You can find Death the Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or at deaththepodcast.com. Death the Podcast is a production of INO Broadcasting.
Until Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.